Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And today, we dig into commercial property. Woo! Okay, so commercial property is not something we normally talk about on this show, largely because, well, it's not really an area of expertise that I have. I'm very interested in it though, and I bet that you are too. I have yet to meet someone who's not lured by the appeal of the cash flow that commercial property can offer. So I, I, I got on board the show today, Helen Tarrant, who actually helps us to unpack ca- commercial property cash flow, uh, how commercial property grows. Um, we kind of touch on where residential fits in with the portfolio, but we could have spent way more time on that. That's for sure. Uh, we talk about how to, how to calculate uh, capitalization rates, heaps of, heaps of amazing stuff. Um, so if, you have an int- if you've got a residential portfolio and you've been wondering, okay, should I get commercial? When should I get commercial? How should I be thinking about that? You're going to love it. Um, if you uh, have never invested, you're going to be interested to understand where there's system in your portfolio. We discuss entry points, how much real capital you really need to get started, all of that kind of stuff. So if you have a desire for cash flow, you're going to love this episode. Uh, so without any further ado, uh, we will just... Well, hang on a second. I keep saying that, but we keep, we've got to get some feedback. So what I would love is if you've enjoyed this episode and if you want us to dig into more things commercial as well, so we can diversify the offering so that you can become a more empowered investor, send us an email, hello at dashdot.com.au. That would be amazing. Let us know what you think. Let us know your feedback on this episode, things that you want to know and how we can continue to improve and grow the show because we want to serve you better. And of course, make sure you like, rate, review, and share this with someone that you love and care about. And I hope that you find this as valuable and as fun as I found it too. So without any further ado, let's get stuck into it and I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Joining me today is a very special guest, Helen Tarrant. Now, a little bit of a backstory, right? So when I actually started uh, my property investing journey, I actually remembered seeing Helen talk at an event, and it really struck me at the time. Uh, this, this idea about commercial and cash flow and all of this kind of stuff—it really struck me as something that was not only exciting, but that Helen had an ability to break it down in a very simple way. And I'd never, never forgotten that. Now, my journey. That's obviously a few years ago now, and my journey has evolved since then. But I'm I'm really excited for this opportunity to to have this conversation with Helen today. Helen, welcome to the show. Thank you. <clears throat> Glad to be here. Very excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm super excited too. So, um, for the benefit of everyone else, I mean, I've had as I mentioned, I've had the opportunity to um to to see you talk about commercial property and all of that kind of stuff. But for the benefit of everybody else who doesn't maybe know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself. What is it you What is it that you do? Uh, well, <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of people actually ask me that because I think my parents think secretly I'm just a real estate agent. Yeah. Um, but um, the the thing is that I am passionate about uh, commercial property, but not only that, but changing people's lives through commercial property. It's fundamentally what we, we live by. And that is about offering uh, education to yeah. our clients and mentoring them through the process of buying their first commercial property, if that's what they wish to do. We also are a specialist buyers agency who only does commercial property. So cool. we don't get into the residential space. We support the residential commercial combination going forward because um, we believe that uh, you don't need to be just a commercial property investor. You, you you can be both. And in fact, it's better for you to be both because it actually complements each other. So I think that's a myth in the industry. A lot of people think, oh, you can only be a commercial property investor or a residential. Yeah. If I buy a um, 
a lot of people actually ask me, do I have to be able to sell all of my residential to be a commercial property investor? And, and no, you don't. It actually works really well together. And, uh, and that's what, uh, if there is a place where, and a time in everyone's journey in the commercial yeah. property, in an investment journey to invest in commercial. So we get people to see that and we plan out that journey for them. So how their resi fits into their commercial, what they should be buying their first commercial property and so on. So our clients come to us to build a portfolio. So they're not a one-stop client. Uh, And then on top of that, we also have our retail fund and a group deal. So more like a syndication. That's awesome. that is for um, big, what I call big, bright, shiny objects because um, everyone who gets into commercial property thinks, I want to buy a childcare centre. Or a shopping centre. Or a shopping centre or a whole building and they just drive along the road. And that's me. Just to, just to be clear, Helen, that's me. I'm like, right, I want to buy shopping centres. I want to buy all this kind of stuff, right? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, is, it is exciting, right? Yeah. And that's what people think about when they when they drive along the street. They want to own a McDonald's. They want to own like that. This is what gets them excited. They say, they get to see the price point and they go to an auction and they get totally deflated because they're on something like a 3% return and they're millions of dollars, like $10 million. Yeah. And so you can't, it's not accessible for the everyday Australian. So All right, cool. I, 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 I want to circle, circle back to that because there's a lot of stuff that you've covered in that little soliloquy yeah. that deserves a lot more uh, focus, right? So I want to yeah. dig into that. But uh, what I want to cover first is, how did you even get into this? Why Why are you now a commercial expert? Because I don't know if you're anything like me, you didn't come out of the you didn't come out of the womb as a real estate person, right? So something had to happen for you to arrive at this place now. What was that? I think the big um, the big thing for me was I remember when I was um, well, firstly being a first generation migrant, um, we understood land and property because for, for my parents, they were just like, well, you can touch and feel it and that's important. Yep. So um, that has always been instilled in me, you know, land, property. Um, that you know, So I never really understood shares and anything else that much, So, but I understood you need to get into property. And I did some stuff in residential and it was successful to a reason, but it, hasn't, it didn't grow as fast. And for me, I was looking for actually a way of, and I asked myself this question because my parents found themselves in this situation. I'm an only child. At 55, they woke up one day and said, I want to retire, but if I stop working tomorrow, I will not be able to pay the mortgage. I'll not be able to put food on the table. I'll not be able to, you know, and $300 a week if I retire for five or 10 years' time on the age pension, I don't know what to do, yeah? And they're facing themselves that they had worked, worked all their lives, met, um, you know, raised the child, and then didn't know what to do. So I thought to myself, well, what if, you were in that situation and you wanted to retire in the next five to 10 years. How would, could you accelerate and do that? And I was looking for mainly for them a reason to be able to do that. And actually commercial property has actually been the turning point to be able to get someone to that point. But also for myself, as I was um, going through, I went to, you know, I went through the you know, education, went to uni, and I started a profession. I started becoming a beauty therapist. Uh, and I remember this time when I was working away, waxing and, you know, facials and all this stuff, really busy. And Bill, uh, the our landlord, would come in once a week, and Bill was like about 80 years old. And the only property he owned was this commercial property building in the Northern Beaches. Yeah. Was it, uh, was it just the shop? Or was it just the beauty salon? It was just like one so shop? Or was it, it was the... A- well, basically, it was a building, a freestanding yeah. building, but in it, it was a hairdresser at the front, us, the beauty therapist at the back, and then there was a, a massage therapist at the sort of behind yeah. us. So there was three, instead of three incomes into one. Yeah, nice. And he had a residential property, like it had a residential above. So it was your 
very standard type of property that you could sort of get today. It's not really anything special. But, you know, he would come in every week, collect the rent, uh, and then check on, you know, a few things. He'll tinker around and fix a few things, bits and pieces there, and then off he goes fishing for the rest of the week, right? <laughs> so I used to think to myself, well, you know, I've just worked like a day and a half and pay rent. Yeah. And, um, and there's Bill who's just happily collected them and off he went. Um, yeah. And I thought to myself, well, you know, what would life be like on the other side, right? Mm. And that started me thinking about what is commercial property and, and, and why is that different? And it got me into it, got me un- trying to understand it. So how did you make that transition then from working in a – was it your beauty salon? Was it your business yeah. or were you working there as an employee? No, no, my, my salon. Okay. So how did you go – how did you transition then from, you know, running your own salon to then starting to get into commercial? Because one of the big things with commercial, I think, is cost and stuff like that, which we can kind of go into as well. But I'm interested in how did you make the – how did you make that leap? How did you start to explore what it, what life was like on the other side? So, 2012 was when I bought my first commercial property. And yep. in 2012, um, for most people, if I paint a picture about what that time was like, it was right after GFC and a lot of residential had been hit and so has commercial. And there was people just selling in the market. Mm-hmm. At that same time, you know, property, if you could believe it back then in, in Sydney, you could still buy an apartment for three hundred a three in front of it. Right? Yeah. Um, so they're not three million, by the way. No, they're yeah, not yeah, three yeah. million. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, for three hundred and fifty thousand or thereabouts, right? So I was uh, I was ready to buy a next property. And I was thinking in the back of my head, well, you know, I could go and buy a residential property uh, in North Sydney, which is um, where I ultimately bought my first residential or well, my first commercial property. And I looked at it and I thought, well, this is how much I'm getting in my returns. I'm getting a 5% gross. If I was to put this money, 350000 into a, a residential property and I was going to get that much. Yes, it's going to be capital growth. Yes, I understand. And I've done a couple of times, so I understand how it goes. If I was to buy commercial, then I would pre- I'm potentially getting an 8 percent plus net yield yeah. and of the set in the same suburb um roughly around the same size so i was like why is that why does that property get so much return and what is something what is the one thing that people are not telling me like, yeah, I yeah, yeah. the same question that all of my clients ask me now if this is cash flow then why are people selling and i'm like yeah well, in the commercial space that's how it works the cash flow is just how it, that's how it's traded right yeah um so I was really the, I guess I was really the underdog when I went into this transaction um, when I was buying this restaurant because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to ask. I didn't know what questions to even look at. I looked at the contract and I was like, well, what do you do with this kind of thing? <laughs> um, yeah. And what do you do with a lease? I mean, what is the significance of it? For me, I was, all I could work out was, so this was the rent they were paying. This was the outgoings. And I was going to pay the mortgage, which, you know, was going to be this amount. And I had this much money left over. And at the time, it was like something like, um, I think, a few hundred dollars left over. And I was like to myself, so what's the catch here? Like, because if you're doing res, you're like, oh, well, you know, I don't really have that much left over, but, you know, I'm going to get growth. Yeah, 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 a couple hundred bucks is whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty minimal. Yep. So I'm looking at this going, I don't know what the downside is, is, but, you know, compared to that, and for me, it was really taking that leap of faith. You know, whether it's going to work or not, you got to just take it because I had no one to ask. There was yeah. no education. There was I, no do, one to talk to. Do, do you mind me asking, was that, was that roughly the same price? You were saying you were sort of looking at around a 350 is that right? So was it yeah. around the same price? Like, are you, or? Yes. So I bought my first property in commercial was a $360,000 restaurant 
Um, mm. So a premise with a Japanese restaurant in there in Mount Street in North Sydney. Yeah. So that restaurant's still there today. Have and you still got that? Do you still own it? I still own it. Nice. Um, nine years, the tenant's still there, hasn't yep. moved, um, have sold their business, replaced, you know, by another tenant, continued on the lease. Um, yes, we gave them some COVID relief, but they've now come back to paying for rent. So everything have just kept on going. So awesome. has not had an issue. So um, and I look back to that and I go, well, you know, over time, now this same property is also worth almost $900,000 in this current market. So hmm. we had increase in rent, increase in value, uh, pretty much the same. And I guess that for me was when I bought it and, you know, when you buy a commercial property, and I always tell my clients this, for the first three months, you're going, you're wondering, is the tenant going to pay rent? Is it going to pay rent? Is it going to pay rent? And every month you see the rent coming in. And then you go, oh, my God, <laughs> they're yeah. paying rent. And three months after that, you kind of go, oh, okay, so there has been no disasters that has taken my property away. So yeah. no flood that has swept it away, no cyclone that's taken the roof off, my tenants do not do a runner. This is real shit. Like, this is yeah. real stuff, right? This is the real stuff. And why hasn't anyone told me about it beforehand? So why, when do I get my next one? <laughs> so yeah. that is really um, when sort of the penny dropped. Though for me, once I got that property, I started to see, okay, so this is a totally different industry, a totally different way of investing and totally a different thinking. So, yeah. so I want to ask. I want to ask a question about um, yields, and more specifically, risk, mm. right? Because um, I think one of the big reasons that a lot of residential investors don't get into commercial is because it seems risky, right? And 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 I, I would agree that it is riskier than residential. Uh, I'd like your take on that. But do you think that the yields that you get, and subsequently the cash flow, is representative of the risk profile of the asset? Do you think that that would be a fair statement or not? Yeah, I think it's a good reflection of it. Um, although I can't say that right now in this current market because we're in a really heated market. And one of the big things we are actually doing is stopping our clients um, buying properties at a much higher rate than they should. But risk, it's always balancing out two things, risk versus security yep. and growth versus cash flow. So you've got to always balance those two points. If you can balance those two points, then you can somewhere in the trajectory you actually find yourself that right property for you. Yeah. So, for example, um, I might have a client uh, that comes through and say, look, I said, what are you looking for? What's your ideal property? Just give me some guidelines. And they go, oh, look, I want a 9% yielding property. That's the first thing that they say. Okay, okay, well, that's fine. Now, are you prepared to go to these towns? So I would list out these towns for you. I say, look, it could be in Rockhampton, it could be, we could be in Mount Isa, we could be in like, um, yeah, we'll be in far north Queensland, um, yeah. we could be in a Dolby, we could be like, oh, if you want, we can go, you know, we might be mining in WA, you know. I said, look, are you prepared to go to these towns because that's where the yields are? And they think about it. I said, well, we'll maybe have a look online, let's have a look online. And they go, oh, well, not so much because, or some people say, yes, absolutely, I'm happy to go where the money is. Um, some people go, no, 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 no. I think I don't think I could sleep at night buying a property in there. Yeah. That's fine. So let's scale that back a little bit. Let's go back. Let's have a look. Let's have a look at a town that is slightly more fringe. So maybe a Toowoomba or an Ipswich or maybe, you know, a Wagga or an Aubrey. Let's have a look at that. And they go, oh, you know, I, I know these towns, you know. No, yeah. I've been there, you know, I, I know that. And, yeah, but I, I, could, I could see myself buying a property there. Okay, well, if you want to buy a property there, 
the yield is at 7%. It's not 9%, it's a 7%. That's where the market is there. Are you prepared to take that? And, you know, it's a yes or no answer and working about that way. So how do you, how do you, one of the big things that we do is we do loads of research on the property market. We've got a whole proprietary research system allows us to identify growth markets, residential, right? How do you go about selecting locations or identifying locations for commercial? And this is tied into a second part of that question. One of the big things is that a lot of people think that, um, you don't get growth in commercial properties, right? The yeah. the belief is that, well, it's all for ca- residential is for growth and commercial is for cash flow, and they're just these two completely isolated things. So, firstly, is 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 that true? And if it's not true, how do you how do you go about selecting locations that may or may not have different uh, impacts on growth? So, firstly, um, not having any growth in commercial property is a myth. So for, for people who are, have been in the market before today, they have all made money. Whether Even if they bought badly in commercial, they have made money because mm-hmm. we're in a hot market, the yield is compressing. So um, what predominantly drives growth in commercial is twofold. Firstly, your rents. As the rents increase, so does the value of your property. Mm-hmm. So, And that is a direct... And the rent increase is a direct impact of demand in the market. Can I just just confirm that? It's actually more about yields, right? Because it's more of a capitalization rate based on yields, correct? And that drives value? Yes, but but, uh, rent as they go up. So there's twofold. That's why there's a second fold. The first fold is the rent. As rents go up, the value of your property goes up. Mm. Even if the yield or the cap rate stays the same in the market. Mm. Uh, Because rental increases... Uh, causes the property to go up. And that's just a commercial property growth, how it's measured. The second fault to that is the cap rate. It's the market yield, the yield. Mm. So if the yield changes, so if it changes from a 5% to a 4%, then the value of your property has gone up. So it, it works in the same way as residential. So I like to say it this way, that, for example, uh, you have someone coming into the market. Let's look at a 12-month trajectory. I say in that 12 months, let's say your rent stayed Flat, like five hundred. Let's say you're getting fifty thousand dollars in rent for that property. Yep. So if someone comes along in January and they buy into that property at ten percent yield. We're just talking round numbers, right? And yep. it's five hundred thousand. So the property's yielding ten percent, five hundred thousand, fifty thousand dollars in net rent. The market changes. The market starts to heat up. People are looking in the market. People are buying. There's more buying activity in the market. There's more people moving into the area. There's you know just generally there's more market activity. Mm-hmm. Someone comes along in in April and says, oh, look, the market's moved. I better buy this property. Um, but I think that the market will change. So I'm going to buy, I'm going to pay 550000 for this property. Mm-hmm. The property is still uh, is still getting $50,000 net rent, mm-hmm. but it's now worth five hundred and fifty because someone's willing to pay five fifty for it. Mm-hmm. Come along in August, the market's really heated. Someone's like, oh, my God, I'm going to miss out if I don't buy. I'm going to buy this property. Someone's willing to pay six hundred thousand dollars for this property. The rent hasn't changed; it's still fifty thousand, but they're now getting an eight percent yield rather than a ten percent yield. So while they're getting a lower return, the value of the property has gone up. It's an inverse effect. So, uh, how does I'm curious about this because this is kind of tying back to one of the questions I had from the start, which is like you have all these prized possessions, like shopping centers and uh, and petrol stations and all of this kind of stuff, but they often have very low yields, right? Yeah. So based on what you're saying there, that's based on um, a desirability for those assets, okay? And that's what pushes up the 
price and subsequently the value. Okay, so rather than the rather than the value being driven by market forces, it's being driven by demand, which is kind kind of the same, but not directly correlated. Um, but at the same time, one of the big drivers of one of the big drivers of value is the cash flow. So and and obviously rents rents drive values too. It feels like it feels like those two things are sort of slightly opposing forces or am i missing something it's like if the if the rents are higher then the value is higher but as the value goes up the yield is lower and then it sort of creates this weird vacuum that i can see have i am i missing something so um it's two it's actually two separate things so okay. rent can go so in a flat market let's say a flat market yep. things haven't changed right um you have a property that went up because the rent has gone up because mm-hmm. in commercial leases rent go up at least by cpi Right. Yeah. So let's look at, say, CPI is 2%. It's probably lower. It's lower now, but let's yeah. call it 2%. So if you bought a property that is, let's say, round numbers $500,000, yep. and you bought it at, let's say, you bought it in a city area. So that's, that's at the moment like a 6% yield. So that's $30,000, right? That's $30,000 for the net rent. So that's year one. Mm. The market is flat. So $30,000. What that means is that next door has been sold on 6%. The, the property five k's down the road has been sold for five for six percent. So just everyone in the market is selling properties at six percent. Yeah. Now, uh, three months down the track since you bought this property, uh, or six months, you have had a rental increase because the lease came up for renewal. You had a rental increase, and that's a two percent increase mm-hmm. because it's CPI. Now your property's gone up by six hundred dollars because two percent of thirty thousand is six hundred dollars. Yep. Now you're charging your tenant thirty thousand six hundred for rent. Right? Now, the market is still flat, still 6%, right? You get a valuer back in and the valuer has to say, well, I have to now value the property based on market yield at the current rent. What's your current rent? 30600 Not 30000 anymore, 30600 mm-hmm. Now, 6% yield on 30600 makes the property value $510,000. dollars mm-hmm. So your property have gone up by ten thousand dollars purely because it's gone up in rent. Okay, in so d- d- does that mean that market growth, as opposed to like at the moment, there's a bit of a feverish mentality around commercial properties and that sort of, you yeah. know, that's, that's demand based. But market growth in commercial is that basically does it grow at the same rate as CPI? Then, if it's all things being equal, does it just grow in line with rents and rents no, going on? Okay, no, no. So there's two different things. So this is where that's why people stay. There's no capital growth in commercial property yeah. because it's actually complicated and no one actually goes out and explains it. And I can go, in all of my seminars, I spend a lot of time explaining capital growth and the moment the penny drops about capital growth, people go, got it. Now I understand how it works. Let's so, drop the penny because I'm, I'm yeah. keen to understand. So this is the first bit where I just explain rent. Like you've yeah. gone up by three hundred by, by $10,000 yeah. because your rent has gone up and that's a flat market. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens in this feverish market? So what we have seen in this market is because of demand, more people willing to pay more for the property, and you see that in residential. Um, it almost seems like in the blink of an eye, things have gone up by 20% or 30%. Yeah, yeah. So now let's just say there was a lot of people coming to the market, and because of that competition, people are, paying, are willing to pay a higher price. So mm-hmm. what we have in the market is what we call yield compression. So the yield starts to drop, so the return starts to drop, the value starts to go up. And what we've actually seen in Queensland, just in Brisbane area, um, not generally Queensland, but in Brisbane area around, is that in the last probably nine months or so, they've had a 1% uh, 
yield compression. So people who are normally getting 7% for a property are now getting 6% for that for that property. So instead of getting a 7% return, if mm. you're a buyer buying in today, you're getting a 6% return. If you're a buyer buying in 12 months' time, you'll get a 5% return. That's where the market is going. So let's say then that what happens then to your property. So let's take go back to that scenario we were talking about before. So let's say... You had the property and it was $30,000 in that rent. You bought it. Everyone was paying a 6% cap rate right? in, or market rate. Let's call it market yield. So $30,000, if there is market compression that happens, so instead of getting a 6% return, you're, not getting, you're now getting a 5% return on the market, uh, that property is worth $600,000. Hmm. So then there's actually two forces in play and you can have one without the other or you can have them totally and there's sometimes when the stars align, you have them both together. Nice. Like that's where you have the kaboom effect, nice. right? <laughs> nice. So um, that's why commercial property capital growth is a little bit hard to understand because you can have one without the other. So even in a flat market where, where things are going sideways um, and property prices don't go up, your property can still go up because rents have gone up. So, but if there, there could be at this current moment, what we're seeing at the moment is there is downward pressure on rent because of COVID. Um, everybody's renegotiating their leases. Everybody is wanting a discount on their rent. Um, so there's downward pressure on rent. So the rents are staying flat. But what we're seeing is the other side of the capital growth equation working, which is there is yield compression because it's a heated market. More people coming into the market. So while... Um, so rents are going down and prices are going up. Yeah. So while an, while a um, a landlord can't put up rent, what they're getting is value increase because people are willing to accept a lower return for the property because they're anticipating more growth in the future. So they can have they can drop rent. So let's for example say that, and this is really counterintuitive and quite interesting. Let's say that you bought this property. Um, the $30,000 property yielding at 6%, $500,000 you bought it. And yep. you bought it and the tenant says, I'm not happy because I'm paying too much for my rent. Mm. I want you to give me a reduction in rent. You know, I want to now pay $25,000 in rent. And let's say that you gave them the discount, which is mm. a close to a 50% discount, right, on rent. So now they're paying $25,000. But the yield in the market has changed because we've had the yield compression, right, from 6% down mm. to 5%. Your property value hasn't dropped. It's still worth 500000 Fascinating. Because Fascinating. you can drop rent and you still can keep the value the same. Yeah, 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 yeah it's interesting. Yeah, because uh, I was fascinated recently to, to observe the, I'm sure you'd probably be familiar with it, but the big Blackstone purchase of the big logistics uh, fund. Did you, are you familiar with that? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So a $3.8 billion logistics asset uh, purchase on a 4% yield, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, okay, that's interesting. Okay. And we've had that in Sydney. I've gone to Burgess Rawson auctions where I've sat back and, and often this is a good, in, like I like to spend a lot of time monitoring the market mm. and in commercial the monitoring of the market is a little bit different from a resi point of view a lot of stuff that google maps are not going to show you rp data are not going to show you mm. um it takes actually a lot of grunt work going through an area and watching the area gentrify 
it's actually that actually will show you when is a good time to invest into that area. Yeah. Um, so there's linchpins in, 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 in things that we do. Like, for example, oh, look, the hospital just broke ground. This is a great time to invest into this area. There's a new shopping centre just com- that's just been commissioned. All right, well, you might want to buy into that area maybe in six months' time. You know, like things like that. Yeah, I want to ask you a question then about uh, industry specifics because one of the things about um, about commercial is it seems like it's industry specific. Like you could buy uh, a retail shop front, but yeah. then I don't know everything starts moving to e-commerce, so you have industry disruption. You could buy a I don't know a pub, but then everyone starts to drink uh, non-alcoholic drinks or whatever. You could buy um, you could buy. Uh, a warehouse, but then uh, imports stop or whatever. So there's 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 always the potential for industry disruption. Yeah. So how do you how do you go about thinking about that from a risk profile perspective? Does that factor into the decision making process? Uh, it does, um, but like all things in property, it's cyclical. So you have that in residential, but it's slightly different in commercial. Yeah, um, commercial is mainly um, it's driven by the length of the lease in that area, in that town, mm-hmm. for example, if everyone's on a five-year lease, they're coming off a five-year lease, you know there's going to be movement in the market, there's going to be negotiations, there's going to be property prices change, flavours of the month will change. But there's also what um, uh, trends in commercial property that you don't see in, in residential. Like in residential, you see the houses, right? It's this suburb that's really booming, it's really great. In commercial, it's like today everyone wants to buy a childcare centre, so yeah. the boom goes for 12 months and what we see is childcare centers that started at 6% now would sell at 2.5% in, wow. that, in that 12 or 18 months time. So at the moment we're, we're in that and I remind my clients is that you are paying a premium to be in a warehouse industrial property. Do you want to pay that premium? Some people would say yes, some people it's absolutely a no. But that's what the flavor of the month is. The trend is everyone wants to buy an industrial warehouse property because in their head they say, it's the safest thing I want. Yeah, it's that's yeah. a really interesting point because we had a client, we bought a residential property for them and then they, you know, they run a business or whatever and as they came across this this res, this warehouse opportunity, they thought, "Oh, let's buy this warehouse as well." Um, and so he was telling me about the warehouse and I said, "Let's run the numbers because I was interested in it." And yeah. we ran the numbers and uh, the, I can't remember the exact price of the warehouse, but the price of the warehouse was significantly more expensive than the residential property that we bought. Yeah. But the cash flow was actually worse than the residential yeah. property, yeah. And I, like the yield was a lot. Like it was, it was madness. Okay, so okay, I want to I want to dig into a little a little piece there now because you're saying that that the commercial does grow and it produces a lot of cash flow. So why wouldn't someone just invest in commercial? Where does residential fit into the picture? So if you're starting out in your journey in your property investment journey, it's really important to actually have residential because residential is firstly a lot easier to get into than commercial. Um, I'm not going to sort of say, oh, the commercial is really easy. Here, take the $50,000 and buy something. You actually need a significant amount of deposit to actually get started. What's a good entry point? Like how much do people really need? Um, And I want to caveat this as well because like how much is like the entry point, but then also where is a good – so for example, you can get into residential like 50 grand, right? But where is a good amount to be at where you would be buying a risk managed asset, maybe something that has multiple tenants or something like that? So what are the two, two different points? So about 150 to 200,000 as a depositor get in is a good um, sweet spot. Yeah. Um, about 300 to 350 gets you something really 
solid. Yeah, and, and, and what type? Of, and what type of thing would that three fifty get you? What's an example so of what that might look like? Let's say three fifty. You're on a seventy percent LVR low. Yeah. So you're buying a million dollar asset, somewhere between yep. a mil, depending on your loan LVR. Yeah. Between a one to one point two million. That's what you're buying. Um, that in the commercial space is actually what they call a starter property. Believe it or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. But a um, but what that will give you is. A lot more options so you can look at different towns and say well do i want to be in a six percent do i want to be five percent in sydney do i want to be six percent somewhere else do i want to be seven percent or do i want to be eight percent in regional so it gives you the whole spectrum to look at um, it allows you to be in a regional area and get a freestanding property right um, with land freestanding with probably multiple tenants if it's in um, somewhere like a metro area like a sydney or a melbourne or, or brisbane it allows you to buy a good strata property mm. that is not in a massive strata complex mm. so you're buying one maybe with six or eight type of other strata small strata business park type complex you have one or two solid tenants in there so you might have if you're warehouse you might have a logistics tenant you might have an e-commerce tenant in there it's got a bit of a history um that's you know that's fitted out well and you know it's already producing value that property mm. Um, if you were in, say, office or retail, you most likely will have a long-standing, slightly long-standing tenant in there. So yeah. that's where um, that type of property ends. So, so we're talking multiple tenancies there. You're talking like there yeah, would be… you can have one or multiple tenants that you have the option then yeah. you, you, at that at that point. You can say, look, I want one good quality tenant. Some of our clients only want one good quality tenant and they might buy something with a law firm in there, something with, um, you know, someone with a commercial kitchen in a warehouse space, or they might buy a, a cafe that's been in a place for 10 years, right? Mm. So solid tenancy. Or they might go to regional and say, okay, I've got a multi-tenant property mm. um, with a different a, a sort of mixed variety of tenants and I've got that security. And normally when you're looking at that property, what that would clear for you is let's say let's work the numbers you know let's say it's a seven percent yielding property and a million dollars at seventy thousand dollars net yeah um interest rate of three percent over the million dollars is thirty thousand dollars you clear yep. about forty thousand dollars in passive income so most people that's a fair chunk yeah that's pretty good yeah, take yeah. You a, it'll take you a couple of residential properties to get that yeah yeah a few so so for most people that's a significant wow moment like yeah it's a big milestone for them. They, go, they get there, they get this, and they go, oh, wow, okay. Yeah, okay, awesome. Okay, and so, and what are the risks then with, with commercial? Like where, can, where do people go wrong? Oh, <laughs> okay. So this is the, um, the $10,000 question, where do people go wrong, right? So commercial property um, mistakes, when if you make them, cost you thousands of dollars and tens of thousands. It's an extra zero on everything you can imagine. Residential, commercial has an extra zero on it. So um, as much as people say about, you know, I want to do it on my own, I don't need a buyer's agent, I don't need education, I can just go and go ahead and look, that property is great, I buy it. That is actually one of the, the worst mistakes they can make because it's a different mentality investing in commercial than it is in residential. So you, it's like relearning a system, relearning a system. So yeah. The one thing is people go into it looking at all the pretty things, don't do their research and buy because of return. They purely buy because yeah. they, they think the cash flow matches out and they ignore everything else because there's so many factors you need to line up for the return. Sometimes a half a percent can make a huge difference in terms of security or not. 
Mm. And we often talk to our clients about that. Do you want to go the extra half a percent or a percent or, you know, and and we talk to agents about that because they go, oh, you know, it's a 5% yield in Brisbane. I'm like, well, my clients might as well just buy in Sydney. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the risk factor, you know? So, um, so that's the number one thing is really invest in some education. Mm. Um, and, um, and and have some education so you actually know what you're looking at. So that's the number one thing. So most people go in there, they just blindly, you know, go and buy something. Yeah. And then secondly, um, the, the other thing that I see is people either not negotiate enough or negotiate too much and they end up losing out on the deal. They end up making that mistake. So, and I've just written, I just wrote an article last night about it actually, is that, they buy there's two essentially two or three different types of properties or strategies so say for example they buy a property then that's going to be set and forget they're going to get income from day one and and, and that's what they want to buy that's great so they'll take that property and the property will have some faults because there's never a property that comes back with a pest building report that says oh that's so clean yeah yeah never happens never happens right it's always some issues but they take it and they go oh, look, those are minor issues, that's fine. You know, I'll fix that up in the first 12 months and off I go. But they, they've chosen to, to basically buy a property they said and forget. They paid a premium in the market to buy a set and forget property and they don't negotiate on those things. So that thing ended up costing them $20,000 down the track. Yeah. Right? Which it will in the first 12 months because we always look at that with our clients. How much is this going to cost you in the first 12 months, right? Mm-hmm. And... Um, and so it's like, well, you should have negotiated on that mm. because you were buying a set and forget property. That's within your rights to negotiate, right? Yeah. Or they buy or a client will say, look, I don't want to set and forget. I want a property that has uplift. I want to manufacture equity. I want to do all of this stuff. So you buy them a dump. You find them a dump of a property and go, this is it. Um, you know, the tenants on month for month, it needs to be fixed up. The footings are wrong, all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden they come up with 20 lists of things and they go, I want to negotiate on this. It's like, no, 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 you don't get to negotiate yeah, yeah, on yeah, this. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you don't get to negotiate on this. You take the property as is because you're already buying it below market. Yeah. And the uplift potential is what you're doing to it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So people often get these two mixed up and they ruin the deal by either negotiating too much and not going negotiating yeah. at all. So that's the number two thing. And then the number three thing is actually time. People spend so much time lining up their ducks and they lose the deal. In a hot market, you don't have two weeks to go and set up an entity, get a finance uh, no, checked and blah, 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 and all of those things. You don't actually have time. You have 24 hours to put an offer in, to sign a conditional contract, then you do everything on the back end. And I know this is really scary for first-time investors and this is why you need a buyer's agent because they will say, this is what you need to do. Yeah, they have to get ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hurry up. Don't don't fluff about. Just put your foot on it and then sort out the rest later, right? Um, Because they're going through it and going, all right, has the rental increases been applied? Yes, that's a due diligence question in contract. Oh, are the tenants paying outcomes? Yes, there'll be a tenant ledger produced under, you know, under that. Just at the moment, you know the basics. Yeah. It works. Rough numbers. Let's just put an offer in because if you don't, someone else will buy it. And yeah, otherwise, you have, yeah, you get stuck in analysis, paralysis, and you never get anything, absolutely. right? Absolutely. So, I mean, those are the three main things. I mean, there's lots of other things that sort of play part in it. I mean, we've got 
Um, we spend a lot of time with our clients regarding mindset and getting them ready for the market. Yeah. So we show them examples of property deals that we've done before. And one of the common things that I think that trips people up is that they, they call up and they go, okay, I want this type of property. What do you have? Available. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get that question all the time. Like, hey, I want to buy a residential property. What have you got available? It's like, well, hang on. Every search that we do is 100% bespoke. We have to go and now look for a property. <laughs> we don't have a catalog. Yeah, we don't have a catalog. And I say this to them is yeah. um, if I said I would be doing the wrong thing by you if right now I hand you a yes. list of 10 things and say, pick one. Totally. I couldn't, ag- I couldn't agree more, Helen. I think it's... I, I know that there are people out there that do that on residential, commercial, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. They go, oh, come in the door. Yeah, great. It's one of these. Bang. And they'll just pick something that is like, you know, off the shelf, so to speak. And it's like, how can how is that even vaguely going to be in the best interest of the client? What have you yeah. taken into consideration? Is that the right fit? And all of that kind of stuff. So I'm 100% with you on that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I always tell them that, look, it's not something we actually, we can show you samples of deals we've done the last three months yeah. and you can learn from those and see which ones you like. We can build the criteria, the timeline, and you can work on all these things in the back end and we go out and find a property for you. But we cannot just pick one <laughs> off the shelf and go, here you go. That's yeah, the right yeah, one. yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Well, I'm interested to know um, how do you, you've obviously transitioned from, being a business owner running a salon and then then you got out of that and became a commercial property investor and now you're a professional investor and you're helping other people. So you've sort of transcended a few different um, levels, let's just say, in life. I'm interested to understand how do you define success? Okay. Um, I think this is, a, this is an interesting bit because I always look at the way that um, – and I've got to come back. In, in the Asian culture, there's always you think you're successful until they go, oh, no, 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 you're not. The next level is success, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you go to your parents and they go, oh, you have to be a doctor. So you go back <laughs> to them like I always say, oh, you know, five, seven years later, mom, I'm a doctor. And they go, no, you thought you were successful being a doctor, but you really need to be head of surgery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Then they, and you waste another, you know, not waste, but then you spend another seven years chasing that dream and they go, oh, no, 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 the bar keeps moving. So, I guess for me, I've never really thought about what defines success, but for me, it's actually about what I'm driven by more than anything else Um, because I felt like I gave up, um, I guess, I gave up having passive income a city on a beach, which was never good for the Asian skin, to now work harder than I ever have before uh, because I am so passionate. Um, A lot of my clients say, don't you sleep because I get emails from your 4 a.m. in the morning. Um, uh, because actually I'm driven by the fact that I actually can create financial freedom for every one of my clients through commercial property. And that is actually my definition of success. It's not that I can do it because, of course, I can do it. I can take any property, sight unseen, pull it apart and go, I'll just buy it. doesn't matter. Just buy it, right? But the fact that the strategy that I have and every deal that I create is repeatable for just everyday Australians walking in through the door. That is actually every deal you're defined by every single deal you do. That actually defines success for me. It's that how successful are you is how well other people have benefited from what you've created. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That makes sense, and that's that's what drives me as well. The impact that you can have on other people is yeah. is the most yeah. important thing. Yeah. What what I'm interested to know what habit or belief you in the last five years has most shaped your view of the world today 
Uh, well, that, that's a tough one. But I think um, I always talk to myself when the market gets tough and people come back and say, look, I can't find any properties. Like I have clients who say, I've gone out, I've had a look, I can't find any properties in my criteria. Sometimes I have our scouts out there and the tradition's like, well, the market's really changed, we can't do it. I've always said, do it faster, better and work harder than everybody else and you'll get it. It's not, it's not about the market, it's about being faster and better. And for me, I'm constantly honing that skill set and the discipline to complete um, what I call loops or deals. So one of the things about being an entrepreneur is that you have great ideas. Yeah. <laughs> I want to do lots of them, things. too many, lots of them. But completing and focus of completing loops and doing deals is what actually moves things forward. So I always say, well, if we are not getting what we're achieving in the market, so market's heating up in this area. We just got to shift. We got to be agile. We got to shift. So I'm always thinking, um, and I'll use this as an example. And this is what sort of shaped is that we came to a point where over three months the market compression somewhere like a Townsville or Rockhampton have gone from a nine percent town that's always been a nine percent town the last seven years, let's say, to a seven and a half percent. That's huge for most people. They just blink an eye and went, "What happened?" Yeah. Right? Um, for us. My, my question is, what do we do? Because ethically, I cannot put my client into a property like that right now, not knowing what the future is going to be. Yeah. Right? So I said, well, what we need to do is go back to our community, educate them. We start to shift and pivot. So we need. what can we do? What can we think of on our feet that is faster and better and ahead of the market? So let's pick up. Let's see what the market is. The market, everyone is paying for properties that are not are perfect, de-risked, right? They're paying a premium for it. Let's go and pick up all the not quite right properties in the market, mm. all the properties that no one would touch. Let's go through this because we have the expertise that perhaps our clients don't, but we do as a team and we can mentor them through it. Let's pick up all of the not quite right properties on the market. Let's start doing them up because we're on a trajectory of compressing yields, and we can fix up this property where they will meet the market. Bring them and up. our clients yeah. can still make money in this market where it's heated. Yeah. So we, we do a different strategy. So our clients are now picking up all this not quite right properties with confidence. So it is about, for me, what shapes me when I look at this business every day is how can I do better? How can I work faster, better, harder than everybody else in this market? So I can influence an industry, change yeah. an industry. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Finding that edge. So yeah. if people want to find out more, because I know that you are not just a, you're, you're obviously an educator as well. You're, you're a buyer's agent. You actually help people go and execute on property. If people want to find out a little bit more about you, if they want to know where they can get in touch, if they're like, oh my God, I really want to get some commercial. How do they do that? Uh, well, the best way is actually go to my website, helentarrant.com yeah. um, and also unicorn.com.au. But helentarrant.com will give you a lot of information um, and uh, it will allow you to reach out to me personally uh, and also check out my YouTube channel, uh, Commercial Property Roadshow with uh, Helen Tarrant. It will give you um, the visual of us doing site inspections, which is really important for a lot of our clients that don't awesome. learn that. Um, visuals about things that what we check and also just generally tips that our teams go out onto the road and you get to see different areas, um, different classes of property, and, and we talk about all the things like auctions and things like that. So it's, it's a good discussion. Awesome. Yeah. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be sure to check that out myself. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. Helen, thanks so much. It's been a real joy to have you on here and to actually... It's, you've answered a lot of questions that I had about commercials. So it's helped me uh, and it's definitely going to help a lot of the listeners to the show. So thank you very, very much. So glad to be here. Glad to help everyone. Thank you.
Cheers.